Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, Episode 70. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast where I interview nomadic entrepreneurs who run a business while traveling full-time in an RV. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Aaron and Dan, who are the owners of the in-town campground in Nevada City, California. You may have heard me talk about them before in various parts of different shows because I love what they're doing in the online space. There are a couple of campground owners who get the whole online marketing, social media, how to connect with people in a genuine way online and also get the value of that. So as I've been building up campground booking, it's been really, really refreshing to talk with campground owners, get feedback on our software. They've been amazing at just telling me what directions they like that we're heading, which ones that they don't like that we're heading. And so I've been really appreciative of them. And I've learned a lot from them about how they built up their business through outlets like Instagram and Facebook and blogging. A few things that we dive into on this episode is how Aaron and Dan started their campground from the ground up. And most importantly, how they were able to create literally mega fans uh, for their business, for their campground, before they ever even opened the doors, just by telling the story of what they were building, casting this vision for why they were creating this park, why they felt it was a need, and documenting their progress, and how they had people lining up the first weekend that they opened their park, and how anybody can do this for their product launch. You may not have people lining up in RVs, (laughs) because your product may not be a campground, But all of the tactics kind of remain the same. So what can you do in that pre-launch process to get hype and get people excited for what you're building? Before diving into today's episode, I want to thank today's sponsor, WeBoost, and the new 4GX RV cell phone booster. This cell phone booster is something I wish we would have picked up the day we bought our RV because I can't tell you how many times over the past three years we were in truly beautiful places outside of national or state parks, But we had to leave early because there was only one to two bars of Verizon and we couldn't get any work done or it wasn't fast enough to record a podcast over Skype, which is kind of a big deal. The 4GX RV cell booster can take that signal, multiply it up to 32x and then rebroadcast it throughout the entire RV to give us a significant boost in internet speed. This means more time in beautiful places and faster internet wherever we go. WeBoost's new cell phone booster is made specifically for RVs, and if you want to receive a 10% discount, you can reach out and email me directly, heath at campgroundbooking.com, and I will hook you up with that discount code. Go to weboost.com to learn more about their cell phone boosters. All right, that's all for the sponsors today. Let's get into the show with Aaron and Dan from the InTown Campground. Thank you all for being on the show with me. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Heath. Uh, Aaron, I want to I hear about y'all's road trip up to Alaska in a minute. But I I have to ask this question first. I jumped on your LinkedIn this morning, Aaron, and you're endorsed more for blogging than you are as a campground owner. And I have a feeling you may be in the 3% or 4% of campground owners who actually know what a blog is. So I find this fascinating. So can you can you guys walk me through a little bit of the process of how you got to where you are now running the in-town campground? Sure. So we own a motel here in Nevada City called the Outside Inn. And that's how I came into the world of business blogging. I write a blog about things to do in our community. And uh, I've been doing that blog consistently for the last six and a half years. And that sort of led to my love affair with social media, um, taking lots of pictures and connecting with community and sharing and promoting. Um, And our campground, which we opened a little less than a year ago, 
was an extension into the hospitality world in our community, knowing that there was a need and a niche for it here in our community. And we thought, we, I don't know, we thought we were brave enough to jump into the world of building and running a campground. Um, so I started, I started with the blogging as a motel owner and then have transitioned into, in, in addition, a campground owner. Interesting. So what is y'all's backstory with RVing or camper vanning or whatever they call it in New Zealand? Um, so we, we've done more camper vanning, I guess, in our earlier days. Our first kind of foray into that was 15, 16 years ago. We bought um, an old air-cooled Westphalia and traveled to Alaska for a summer and lived in the van for a summer. So that was our first kind of foray into it. We'd always been into the outdoors and camping, um, but never necessarily in an RV. And then um, that trip was great, you know, 12,000 miles of living in a van and doing all sorts of fun, interesting things. And then we, we came back, the van broke down, I put a Subaru motor reliable, which kind of kept us going until uh, we eventually ended up down in New Zealand where I went to grad school and then our boys were born down there and ended up with a job. Um, but while we were there, you know, the small camper vans are a really popular way for, uh, for people to travel down there. And they have a lot of what they call freedom camping where you can kind of just go and pull up and camp wherever you want. But they also have, um, and some of your listeners may know about these, the holiday parks where they're, in just about every town, very conveniently located to the center of the town, have kind of a range of accommodations and a range of amenities that make traveling with a family in particular, but also with a, a mixed group of people, super easy. So for us, it was a natural extension having a very young family to take up the camper vanning and RVing in that kind of light where we were living. And that is kind of the genesis of our idea for the in-town campground which just percolated for a number of years uh, until eventually we moved back, like Aaron said, to take over the outside in. And I think it was within a month or two of moving back from New Zealand, I found this cool vintage trailer online, very close to where we lived. And I went down to quote unquote, look at it and bought it and came back and Aaron <laughs> shook her head. So that was uh, when we got our first true, you know, bumper pull trailer RV. And from there, um, I had traded in my day job in New Zealand, and Aaron became the working stiff. So I took the kids in the summertime, and we would do, you know, month-long road trips around the West, going to visit my family in Colorado, um, you know, the Tetons, Arizona, Utah, all those places. So um, from there, if we couldn't be more convinced, we were more convinced that this campground idea was a good one, and, and we should start exploring it. And you guys were totally content with basic, I mean, because you're basically saying at this point, like, I'm my career is going to be in the camping industry. And I always tell people there are way worse industries to be involved in. You know, you get to be around people who are traveling and being in nature. And it seems like there could be worse clientele on a lot of bases. So you guys were totally cool with the rest, you know, potentially the rest of your life being in the camping industry. That was, the, you had no reservations around that? <laughs> That's a nice pun. Um, we we didn't have any reservations. I think being in the hospitality industry already, we sort of knew what we were getting into in terms of lodging and being camping enthusiasts. Um, we definitely were excited about that. I think our naivety about what it took to build a campground was definitely something that I think we'll look back on in you know 10, 15 years and be like, wow, we were crazy. But um, 
um, it's definitely provided us a lot of learning opportunities. And I feel like your entrepreneur or listeners would definitely relate to that. Like, okay, we've got this idea. Let's, let's do it. And then like learning as we go. So what, I mean, that's it. That's kind of a good segue. I'm really interested in the idea of starting a campground one day. I don't know if I've talked to you about this, Aaron. I think maybe we have. We've had a lot of random side tangent conversations around just various business ideas. I love your random uh, emails that you'll send out. Just, hey, I thought of this cool thing because I think it's fun to, to hear and kind of rant about. But I've always had this crazy idea to start a campground eventually one day. So what all does go into starting a campground like where do you where do you actually start other than just saying i'm going to start a campground uh how'd you decide where did you decide where to build or you know to buy a campground so what all goes into that and during the early stages that that's probably more my department than aaron's i was more the project manager on it you know i mean the first and foremost is is the idea right you have to kind of get some clarity in your mind okay i want to do a campground why you want want to do it, what kind of that broad vision is. And for us, you know, we had this idea of of building kind of an Americanized version of a holiday park, but the key was always going to be the location and the proximity to town and the natural environment. Because, you know, where we are in California, you know, from a business perspective, you're competing with some really incredible national and state parks for the camping audience. So if you're going to offer a campground that has that kind of feel, you have to have a really special property. So when you look at doing a campground, and I do kind of say this, maybe distinguishing a little bit between an RV park and a campground, um, because they have slightly different vibes. kind of feels, totally. you know, vibes. And we knew we wanted to do a campground. We knew it wanted to be in a beautiful setting and it had to be close to town. So for us, it was just keeping our ear to the ground, looking for the right property. And when it finally came available, then you kind of have to be ready to jump on it. So that's kind of the the initial starting point, right? What do you want to do? Where do you want to do it? And is there even a property that fits the bill? And then from there, our experience, because we built it from the ground up, was probably a lot more complicated than folks who might buy an existing campground or RV park and then decide to you know, tweak the model or update it. But for us, we had a year of, you know, doing the land use planning and conditional use permit, and then another nine months of construction drawings um, and all sorts of permitting that you have to go through. I mean, it was two and a half, almost three years of that before we could even open the door. Wow. So there's a lot that goes into it. Why, why, why did you guys decide not to just buy an existing one and kind of insert your vision into it? Um, I mean, for one, because we were pretty locked into Nevada City based on owning an existing bu- uh, business here. So there weren't any other properties near here that, well, I mean, that were even for sale. Yeah. <laughs> so let alone one that would fit our vision. So for us, it was always going to be a case of if we want it here, we're going to have to build it. And Then the other kind of side note to that is we wanted to do something that was different than most campgrounds. So it can be hard to take an existing infrastructure package and tweak it to what you need because the infrastructure is such a key element to the design that, you know, you, you might, you might be able to do it, but it would really depend on the particular property. Hmm. Were you going to say something, Aaron? No, I, 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 
think that most people when they come to visit our campground are they don't realize that it wasn't a campground before and for those who work in the construction world they can look at the infrastructure and the roads and the sidewalks and the buildings and be like wow and other people are like oh this is awesome you know it's great they have so many trees and that's so I, I yeah I feel like the building of it is something that most people can't really get a handle on it just when they come and come camping here. That was sort of the point. We wanted it to look like it was a part of the natural landscape and that we have not, you know, changed the look or feel of this piece of property. And and the way a lot of RV parks are, they're not necessarily constructed like that. I mean, you have some that are more like we're at a campground right now in Myrtle Beach that has more state parkish vibes than a lot of the campgrounds we stayed at. There's a lot of big trees. They've done a good job of leaving them here, which is cool. But I would say the majority of parks are not like that. So it's you're kind of limited on if you have a specific vision for a campground or something like that, then it, it could be more difficult. And I guess that was part of it, too. From a cost perspective, I'm sure you guys have talked to a lot of other campground owners who are starting parks. Can you just say it flat across the board that it's cheaper to do one route or the other, or does it just depend? Like, is it as far as like from a cost perspective? I guess it depends what you want to do. You know, a large portion of the cost of our project has to do with the community facilities. So if you're building a park that doesn't focus on, you know, common spaces, then you're looking at a, a per unit cost more than kind of an aggregate cost. And I mean, the cheapest way to build an RV park is to have a flat, clear piece of land that you can just come in and basically pave spots and put in pipes underneath. But, you know, that didn't have the character that we were looking for. So for us, you know, the cost, it, we weren't really ever, and still even to this day, are not really capable of comparing our kind of per unit cost to other campgrounds because the model's completely different, the the site is completely different. And what we're trying to achieve is completely different. So in that respect, one of the cool things about campgrounds is that they all are unique, but that also means that the costing and planning makes it fairly unique too. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. So this is something that I'm kind of interested in because a lot of really almost every single person I've had on this podcast is remote, obviously, because we travel full time. So all the work that we're doing for the most part doesn't consist of in-person customer relationships and having that interaction. So for you guys, as people who have your toes dipped into the online world of blogging, social media, et cetera, and kind of understand that space, like what is y'all's preference? Do y'all have a preference as far as like, in you know, would y'all like to be doing more work online? Do you enjoy the in-person interactions? Do you like the mix? Because I know for me personally, like, I, I definitely miss the in-person interaction uh, with people. Like when we had our RV Entrepreneur Summit and we had a bunch of people come out to a conference in person, it was amazing. Cause you're like, oh, all these people are real people who you know listen and interact in our community. <laughs> and it sounds crazy, but it's like, when you spend all your days just you and your, your wife, it, it doesn't always feel like that. So, I mean, what is y'all's experience there? Oh, I'm, I'll go first, I guess. But <laughs> for me, um, I'm actually a fairly introverted person. So um, I need a lot of quiet time. But absolutely the most satisfying part of this job is cruising around on Friday and Saturday night talking to the guests. I mean, you hear such amazing stories and I mean, geez, 99.9% .9 of the time the people are just happy and it's very invigorating to talk with happy people. So um, for me, even though I get a lot of respite by 
you know, having my, my time and reading my book and things like that, it's also very invigorating to talk to people and see that what you're doing is making a difference to them and in improving, you know, their day or their weekend or whatever the case may be. I, I am a very people person, which is why uh, my online world is great. But I have to say that I also get a lot more satisfaction out of meeting people in real life and, and happy customers. And I feel like for us, the moment last year when we finally opened after years of work and seeing we happened to open our campground last year on 4th of July weekend. So, um, and we had no practice runs. It was like full steam ahead, opening weekend, completely book solid. And, uh, and we sort of sat in awe and watched all of our visions come to life and having people using the spaces that we had created and all of the things we'd spent a lot of time and energy thinking about, and then seeing them actually being used for us with both like I don't know. I, I don't want to say a dream come true because it was so much work, but it was definitely a moment of like, oh my goodness, we made this happen. It, it was a really emotional time, actually. It, it was, you know, we had years of stress and anxiety and and like struggles with all the permitting and, and the construction woes. I mean, all the normal things you have when you build something and like for it to open on 4th of July weekend and be... I mean, we were like 70% full for our first two nights of business. It was like, holy cow, <laughs> you know, but it was really cool. But um, yeah, it was, it was pretty emotional. I will say though, that one of the things about the online presence is that I, as a person who understood blogging and social media, and because the project took us so long to actually execute, I had an opportunity to create an audience um, through our Instagram and social media well before we opened. And so I really enjoyed last summer meeting and talking to some of our fans who had been following along on the journey um, over the span of, you know, some were more short term, but some were like, I've been following you for a year and a half and I'm so excited. And now I'm here and this is even better than I envisioned. So um, for me, that was really special to know that there was somebody who'd been cheering us along and then they actually came, paid money and went camping. And then I got to have a conversation with them in real life. I love that. That makes me so excited uh, about the prospect of one day owning a campground. Seriously, like I'm getting a little bit of chills <laughs> right now thinking thinking about it because you're totally right. Like. I'm assuming, Aaron, you don't feel that same response after spending eight to 10 hours writing a blog post or a couple blogs, even if people love it. Like, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's hard to compare those two, right? Or maybe it is the same for you. I don't know. Well, I feel like the Outside In blog has its own, like, persona and is, um, it definitely has its own unique following. And I do this annual giveaway at the end of the year where I put together all these businesses and have one huge package for one person to win. And that for me is like the love fest at the end of the year of the whole year's worth of work and have all these people be like, oh, I use this as a resource or, oh, I use this to help me know what's going on or, oh, I'm from out of the area and I pay attention. So um, I feel like if I give a big enough carrot, then the love fest is definitely there and people do enjoy it. Or the people who have said to me, I've been following you along and now I'm moving to the area. So um, there are different applications in terms of what people use them for. But uh, the campground, I feel like for us, since it was such a big undertaking, it was really great to meet the people who had been excited. And um, I like to tell the story about one of my super fans. She had been stalking us on Instagram <laughs> and then 
when I made noise about how we were going to finally release the reservations last winter, she started planning her summer dates on my Instagram feed with her friend being like, okay, well, we have to pick up the dates. Is this weekend going to work? Weekend going to work? Or is this one going to work? And things took a little longer than I thought. So I sent her a direct message being like, I'm not going to have them up by Friday, but it should be on Monday. And I sent her a message when I made it live. And then I was still working on some of the back end stuff to get the website up. And in the time that I got all my ducks in a row, she'd all gone online and booked two different weekends for the summer before anyone else because she was so excited. And then when I met her in real life, I was like, oh, no, did we meet your expectations? Like, I'm a little nervous. And she said that we did above and beyond. And she, I was like, how was it that you were able to like spend your money? You'd never been here. No one had ever camped here. And she was like, you did such a good job of sharing what you were doing that I really felt like I knew what I was getting into. And now that I'm here, it's so much better than I thought. So for me, I feel like that's, that's like all the hard work is worth it. I don't like, do you guys even realize how meaningful that is and how cool that, I mean, I'm sure you, I know you do. But in the in the industry that we're in, it's so, so unique what you guys are doing. It's why I've talked about you guys probably 20 times in random different occurrences. And I've only met Dan once. We hung out for like five minutes and I was like kind of zonked <laughs> at, a, at this conference. And I probably didn't even make any sense of what whatever we were talking about, Dan. I apologize. And uh, But the fact that you guys had people lining up to book a site at your campground, that's so rare. I mean, what so... I think there's a lot of things that can be applied during that process to any given product launch or anything that anybody's doing, even if it's not in person, especially if it's not in person. So what were some of the things that you guys did to build that hype and have create mega fans in the process before you all were ever live? Because I think uh, people can take that and apply it to anything that they're doing. I think, you know, this project... It's, I mean, for one, it, the experience and the way we told the story was authentic. You know, it was, it's easy to sell what you know and who you are because, you know, you're not having to contrive anything. So I think that's part of it. I, when I talk to the guests, you know, they're always amazed that, you know, that I'm the owner and they're like, oh, you know, did you build it? And I say, oh yeah, you know, when we were going through this process, they're like, really, you're the owner? Um, so I think they like being part of the story. And, um, and we really like them being part of the story because it kind of their experience and their enthusiasm creates the community feel that we're really trying to achieve. So when you talk about how do you build that buzz, like really you're selling people on a story that's interesting to them. So, um, whatever that story is and whatever product line you're doing, um, if you can find how that relates to your audience. I mean, it, I guess that sounds like marketing one-on-one, I, I think, but, but it's not as mechanical as that, you know, it just seemed like it was just part of the, the process. I, I think that as the person who does all the marketing, I can speak to the fact that it was a long game, well-executed plan. And that when people are like, well, how did you get into sunset? I'm like, but these things don't happen on accident. You know, we worked on them for months and months in advance. And uh, we had the advantage of having the property well before we opened. And so even before we'd finished our permitting process, we did an entire professional staged photo shoot of what we were going to build. And so I had all of these great photos of what we were trying to create. And so I used those as long as well as the actual process of building it. And then in addition to some of our backstory of who we are as a family and some of our adventures that we've gone on to help. And so I did that over 
fairly lengthy period of time. So um, I think that that's pictures, more pictures, more pictures. <laughs> well, yeah, the old picture's worth a thousand words, you know. <laughs> what is uh, Sunset? Oh, Sunset Magazine. That's um, may not be as big out where you guys are. Oh, it's a it's a magazine. It's um. It's a magazine about the West. They say. Yeah. You know, it's really really popular lifestyle magazine. Kind of from, I mean, probably the Rocky Mountains to the Pacific Coast. Yeah. And it's kind of the dream of many businesses to get into Sunset Magazine, because it has a certain readership and a certain aesthetic that um, is, you know, really popular out here. Yeah. They're definitely the people who read Sunset are good clientele potentials for our campground. So um, that was that was a great opportunity, and that was from on Instagram a uh, relationship that we that I cultivated over the span of a year and just sort of becoming friends with people who work there so you talk about the story uh, that you guys were building as y'all were building the campground and how you're pulling other people in what was that story like what were you know what was this kind of story arc for you guys as y'all were building in town campground pushing out content and photos on Instagram and i'm assuming Instagram was kind of the main platform here when you talk about what you're building yeah i mean we do have a blog on the campground's website and a facebook page but i definitely have the biggest oh and a twitter feed um but i definitely have the biggest following on Instagram um but i mean the story is kind of what the, the American entrepreneur story, right? It's, you know, you come up with an idea and and you try and make it a reality. And I think if I, if I look back and I'm trying to be maybe just objective about it, I think a lot of people can relate to the idea that we're just this young family trying to follow a dream. And, you know, it's it's always fun to meet people who are doing something, even if you're not able to do it yourself, right? It's always exciting to say, whoa, look at you know, these people are doing what I want to do. And I mean, I can't tell you the number of people who've told me that, that say, man, I've always wanted to do something like this. And, you know, our circumstances are fortunate that we were able to pull it off. Um, but if, if that's not the case in your life, I think the storyline is like, I get to be part of it, even if I don't get to do it. So, I mean, maybe compelling draw. I mean, it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to know exactly. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. When you guys, because uh, y'all had already had, how long had y'all had the motel in Nevada City before y'all decided to do the campground? Uh, my mom uh, owned the motel before we did. So, and I worked there um, as her manager in life before children. Um, so we were familiar, I was familiar with the motel industry, but how long had we before we bought it? It was like three and a half years from when we took over the motel to when we actually purchased the campgrounds property. No, it wasn't even that long. It was like two and a half. Oh, well, we bought this in 2013. So, okay. Yeah. Say two and a half years. Gotcha. Was there any, was there any moments during that, the building process where you guys just kind of had a, Oh crap moment. We don't, 100% know what we're getting into and had a little bit of a freak out and then got through it. <laughs> Um, there were many, of many, those. many, many, <laughs> like what did the, what uh, there, did those look was like? A, um, for me, they manifest by not sleeping. You know, I would often wake up, you know, one o'clock was my favorite hour and be awake for two or three hours and, you know, wake up in a cold sweat <laughs> being like, Oh my God, what have we done? And, and we still have those, or I still have those because, you know, this is 
even though it's going well, it's still a very young business and, you know, there's a huge financial and emotional investment in it. So it, I always use the analogy. It's like, we didn't, we didn't leave anything behind, you know, it's all on the table. So, you know, we have to make it work. We're going to make it work, but that's also a scary thought. And I imagine almost every entrepreneur out there has that almost exact same thought process. And I mean, it's scary, but it's rewarding too. You know, that whole emotional part of it was as much because of the stress as it was because of, you know, seeing it realized. (laughs) I feel like there's something to be said about going all in on one thing, even though you guys also have the motel, there's those two things are so closely overlapped. Uh, I, I feel, I feel like somebody like myself, I'm in all these different areas and I'm, you know, sometimes it's easy to feel worn down and think about how good it would feel to go all in on one given area. And, and for you guys, that's, that's a campground right now and you still have the motel, but I mean, you're able to pour all of your energy into one given area. And I'm assuming that that's a good feeling, right? I don't really have a good question is that I'm just, I don't know to be able to go all into one thing, you know? You know, it's um, hmm, is it a good feeling. It's we still have room for improvement in the work life balance. Um, we we hope our children will forgive us someday for the amount of time we've left them to fend for themselves in the last year and a half or so. Um, but uh, they they feel invested and passionate about the project as well. I like to talk about how they were on the job last summer of giving out free ice cream and chatting up with the customers. And uh, they just put on their charm and were like, well, if they're happy, then they'll come back and then our family will make more money. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but yeah, in terms of the meltdowns and the stress, I feel like it's been beneficial for us to have each other because we both understand and recognize. um, And we tend to have freakouts about different types of things so we're able to talk each other off the ledge pretty easily <laughs> yeah um and at different times i mean when we were listening to the rvfda podcast and germany and stephanie were talking about you know having meltdowns not at the same time and <laughs> man that is critical like if but it's amazing how resilient you can be on that same kind of train of thought because there's times where you feel like okay we might both just lose it at the same time but, you know, there's always more in the tank. It's, it's just amazing how deep you can dig into your reserves of patience and persistence when you have to. So, you know, back to your question about what's it feel like to be all in and is it a good thing? You know, once you make the decision, and, and I remember this very clearly, I signed the contract for the infrastructure work and I called Aaron afterwards and I said, honey, I just signed us up to spend an awful lot of money. <laughs> and that was a sleepless night after that. But from that point forward, it's like, I did it. So it's no longer a question of if all in's a good thing. It's like, we're all in, what are we going to do about it? So, you know, that kind of necessity of action can really drive. I mean, it's amazing how much that can drive your project. And so there's a benefit there. I mean, but you know, there's a risk and a, a lot of stress with it too. What was, what was the main fear that kept you awake? Um, yeah, it changed throughout the project. So when we first bought the property, um, we, there's a Chinese cemetery on the property and it's an old gold miner cemetery. And there's a preservation easement held by the Chinese historical society in San Francisco. And so my first real stressor was, can I get them 
to buy into this project because I needed their approval to do the project. So, you know, the first risk was we buy the property and they say no. <laughs> and then it's like, great, now we've got this property we can't do anything with. Um, so it went from there to closing the mine shafts to, you know, are we going to get approval from the city to the number of trees we have to take out? And it just kept going. And I think the reason it kept going is because um, they were all problems that needed solutions. And for this property and this project, there were a lot of times where it could have been a deal breaker. And up until May before we opened, so two months before we opened, we didn't even have water service. And there was a high probability we might not get water service. <laughs> so I was freaking out about that, being like, oh, my God, I built a whole campground that has no water. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah. I, lo I love that he's laughing about this now. Because um... it, it was not a laughable moment. <laughs> no, it was not a laughable moment. But I think that it's worthwhile to say as the person who was not responsible with negotiating with the people that Dan had the long view and he kept working at it. And I feel like his patience and ability to think big picture helped him, whereas I'm a little less rational like that, irrational like that, and was like, wait, why can't we fix this now? And he just kept plodding away a year, a year into the process. So um, I applaud him for his patience. <laughs> well, perhaps to you guys. I, in a scenario where you didn't spend that year and a half uh, building up hype on Instagram and blogging about the in-town campground, what would have happened if Dan would have went about all the things that he just talked about and you wouldn't have really done any Instagrams or any stories or any things like that until you guys launch and then maybe like send out some press releases to the you know local paper and stuff? I definitely don't think we would have had as many people as we had last summer. I think we're also in a, have an advantage being established business owners in our community. So like all of the local organizations and nonprofits and local businesses, they were all super excited about our project because it's a big economic boon for our community. Um, and also a fun, cool thing. I'm amazed by how many locals have come camping with us. Um, so, but having, if you were just to, open the doors one day and then expect the people to show up. Well, we're not on the freeway. So there's no neon sign with the big, huge exit. Come here, come camping. Um, you, you do have to actually know where we are. We're not very far from the off ramp, but um, I feel like we probably would have taken us a lot longer to get to the occupancy levels that we're looking for. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a train that's starting up from the station. You know, if, if you started on the day you open, it takes a long time to get going. And so, you want to kind of start that train moving so that by the time it gets to opening day, it's got some momentum behind it. And that's not necessarily an easy thing to do. And I'm you know, really fortunate that Aaron was able to do all that marketing because when you're project managing the development, I mean, it was up until the day we opened and beyond that I was still, you know, putting nuts and bolts together for stuff. And it's really hard to look at, you know, the broad marketing strategy when you're literally in a trench trying to figure out which way you're going to route an electrical conduit. So I, yeah, there's no, the scenario between the two would be almost in, incomprehensible. I don't think you could do it um, without, a, I mean, you could do it with a lot of cash reserves, right? <laughs> because, yeah. you know, you'd be just paying to operate and, and finance while, 
you're getting some market, but it's almost mind boggling to me how many uh, campgrounds aren't on Instagram when every single RVer or van lifer or whoever is making so many of their future camping decisions based off of Instagram. Like they just, you, you, I, it's just mind boggling that they aren't spending how many hours a day would you say you, you spend on Instagram or averaged out over the past few years? Ooh, um, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know if I have the answer for that. I mean, it's a big part of what I do for both businesses. So, um, and, and people like I've taught social media classes in our community and people always ask like, how much time should I be spending? And I don't feel like I'm necessarily the best person to use as a baseline because I've been in this a business for a while now. So I'm, I'm definitely past social media 101. Um, but it is an important part of our business and I do make it a priority. And But I also really enjoy it. I think that's the other thing that Dan always is appreciative of it. Like I, I get satisfaction out of it and I love taking pictures and I love capturing things from different perspectives and I love sharing other people's vision. So um, for me, it's not, it is work, but it's something that I really enjoy. Yeah, and I would echo that too from the development side. I mean, there were a lot of stressful days and, and long hours, but I just loved being in the dirt, building something. You know, it's very satisfying to come home at the end of the day and be like, wow, you know, look at this. Honey, guess what? I got three sewer outlets in today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's like, ooh, yay. Did you have a background in, in, in any of that? Like, what was your background? Um, my background is a bit of a mishmash. So, um, out of college, I had a brief stint working in publishing, but then I ended up being a manager at a ski resort for four years. And um, so that was kind of my entry into the service side of things. Um, and then we left, went down to New Zealand, got an MBA. And my job in New Zealand was working for a building supply company in, um, in a small town and being their finance and administration person, but also in their kind of contractor sales so I'd been around kind of the development side of things from the supplier side. Um, I had done some construction work also right out of college. But, you know, I'd never done a project management type thing, but I always liked working with my hands, you know, being involved with stuff. I think it's also helpful to say that in his uh, volunteer hat, Dan has been on the planning commission for our local city, and that has given him a lot mm. of education in terms of the process and what it includes and I, I don't I don't know that's not my world but um, that gave them a really good uh, education in terms of that process yeah and that's a fairly complicated process or can be a complicated process so knowing the questions to ask and what information I needed to provide you know I mean what was our our application for the use permit was I mean it was a book basically you know, an inch thick book full of reports and analysis of different impacts and all sorts of stuff. So all of that kind of helps, you know, it's like you take your whole history and just bundle it up together and, and use what experience you have to do the job. Totally. If somebody was interested in starting a campground like myself, like what kind of advice, <laughs> what kind of advice would you give me? Uh, in that process as I'm this is something that once we I think we settle down and get off the road I'm kind of the big dream who knows if it'll happen but is you know as we're transitioning out of this remote RV life I would love to be able to interact uh, with more campers and people who are uh, living this lifestyle day to day I love that especially being remote for so long like 
it's kind of our next big dream that we've talked about. So what kind of advice would you give somebody like myself who would love to open up a campground one day? I, I would say that it would be easier to open or remodel an existing campground versus building one from the ground up. I, I would echo that. Um, but in either case, I think I underestimated the political navigation that was required. You know, you deal with a lot of different public agencies and a lot of different uh, stakeholders. So, you know, my, my advice is wherever you're going to do it, open up the channels of communication with the local municipality, with, you know, the local stakeholder groups early on and get them to buy into your project because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to give you a yay or a nay. And, and it's also a good litmus test as to whether or not your project's going to hold water because if people get excited about it from a policy standpoint, um, there's a good chance that the market's going to be excited too. And, you know, we, we did that in some of our promo stuff. Um, early on, we set up several campsites and glamping tents and, you know, mock RV sites just so the local agency could come out and kind of get a, a taste of what our vision was. You know, when you put it on paper, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't sell the story. And so when you can get them to see what you're trying to do, uh, at least in our particular case, they were like, Oh, okay. I get it. You know? And, uh, that was really important. So that would be my main piece of advice is navigate the political system, um, and be very open in the communication, you know, because it helps and their chances are they're willing to help you too, and give you all the information you need and suggestions on, on best design elements that are going to work for that particular location. I love that. And so not the answer that I thought it was going to be. <laughs> what were you thinking I would say? I, I was just thinking, um, you know, from real estate investment sort of standpoint, if you're looking at buying a campground, you know, what is the average uh, occupancy rate uh, year to year in the campground, uh, looking at number of sites, what's in the air? You know, I, was, I guess I was just thinking more from that practical business standpoint of, you know, what type of revenue could you look at for a year to year of a campground? Um, there's a term that I'm that's kind of blinking in my mind, which is basically the amount of uh, it's like the property value and divided by the. I'm I, anyway. I'm kind of I'm, it's probably the cap rate. Yeah, the I cap guess. rate. What is the, what is the cap rate? I don't know. I guess I was expecting something in that in that area. Um. <laughs> I mean, those are all really important elements too. Um, but my experience has been it's very hard to run a business exclusively on spreadsheets you know in the campground business and in our business you know like i said before we're selling a story and you have to it, you have to keep that in mind right that what you're selling and making all of your decisions based on your end goal the money will follow if you've got a solid business plan and, and you've thought through, okay, what's my maximum potential revenue and all of those things. And, and you kind of get this base for what your investment's going to be in, in your projected revenue. Um, those are all kind of good big picture things, but it's really hard to, to come up with anything other than, you know, back of a, a napkin kind of revenue generating things. At least it was for us because our project was totally different than, than most campgrounds. But if you get that down and you're comfortable with it, then the whole thing is 
is every decision I'm making based on that end vision. And, you know, that drives all of your purchasing. It drives all of your design decisions, your marketing decisions, all of that stuff. So it kind of, in some ways, simplifies it. It's like, do I need this pen? Is this pen going to get me to where I need to be? And it's amazing how many times you're like, that is a colossal waste of money. I'm not doing that <laughs> you know, when you're thinking of in the long term like that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, one of the big differences that you guys had talked about in these community campground or the holiday parks was kind of the community element. And in my mind, where technology is going, where just social interaction is going, people, you know, love this whole glamping idea. Uh, you know, camping has been around for a long time and I don't, you know, I don't foresee that going anywhere, but I think it's super interesting to think about campgrounds that have co-working spaces, you know, really fast Wi-Fi. Um, and then, you know, these little community centers, because I love be- being able to get out and go have somewhere nice to work. And that's not something that many campgrounds are even thinking about. Like, you know, very at the very least, maybe it's like trying to improve internet. But I, but I, f- I feel this is something that you guys may have thought about quite a bit, because you obviously are doing it. So what are y'all's thoughts on where campgrounds are headed or where they should be headed and things they could do differently? You know, my initial thought when we went into this, and I guess I still kind of share some of that belief, is that the camp campground industry feels a little tired. You know, it doesn't feel like it's on the edge of, of where people's thinking is. And so... Um, I don't know if that's a generational thing. There are obviously exceptions to that rule. And at the conference in Dallas or Fort Worth, sorry, um, I was encouraged by how many young people were in attendance there. Um, but, you know, for for me, it just seemed so obvious that there was this, like, who wouldn't want to be outside close to town? You know, camping doesn't have to be just an RV park. It doesn't have to be roughing it in the woods with a long drop toilet it can be somewhere in between and um, i think there's probably more people and this might just be our market too that appreciate that idea than the ones who are looking for the more traditional system of rv parks Um, but then going back to the idea of community spaces and co-working and things like that i mean that's just part and parcel here in california i don't know how many people that we know in our town telecommute. I mean, it's just what they do. So for us, the idea of people coming here to work is not, not foreign. I don't know that we get a lot of them. We get some of them. I think you could also say that we built the campground with community spaces in mind. So we built a 3000 square foot communal building, which we call the commons. And it's got a community kitchen and a dining area and a living room. And then it also has nice outdoor spaces. And we've got a communal gas fire pit. So we wanted people to interact with each other. And we built spaces to help foster that sort of community feeling to it. Um, And that has really paid off. Like it's been great to sit around the campfire and meet other people and chat with them. They always think it's odd when I admit that I actually own the campground and I'm sitting there roasting marshmallows but (laughs) (laughs) but it's uh that was something that we did very deliberately um and I I think our customers appreciate it there are some people who aren't you know if you're used to staying at an RV park and you don't necessarily need and use the facilities it doesn't have as much of a benefit but we found more people really appreciate it than don't so Right. And I think on that same line, it's the old adage that the sum is greater than the parts, right? That 
or the sum of the whole. And and so when you look at it and and us having built it in this cohesive way, um, you know, you can add a fire pit area, you can add a barbecue area, you could add even like a game room or something like that. But unless they're kind of all designed to be together, um, it can often feel like they're just appendages. So, you know, for us, we have the benefit of having built something from the ground up. So when we're trying to alter an existing park or think about altering an existing park, you have some limitations in infrastructure and location that can make creating some of these spaces a little bit more difficult. You know, you could put a co-working spot, for example, but it might end up being at the back of the facility. And so you feel like, well, wait a minute, I'm just being like shoved off to the end here. That's not fair. Whereas we, of course, had the benefit of being able to look at the property from the get-go and say, where is the best location for most of these things? I love that. A last question I have for you guys is, uh, what does success look like for you guys in this lifestyle as y'all are running the in-town campground and the motel and everything that you're doing in the online space and and also raising family amidst all that? (laughs) Yeah, I really appreciated your answer on this question on a previous podcast um, and like being happy with the successes that you have. Um, So I feel like my answer to that would be continuing to work on the work-life balance and um, and trusting our employees to continue to execute execute our vision in the way that we want it to. And so, yeah, that would be my goal. Um, what about yours? Yeah, it's, I guess that's a hard question. I mean, the, the obvious goal that a lot of people would say is some financial one, but, you know, that's only a small part of why we did this project. So, um, you know, for me, I, I feel like we've, kind of seen that success already it's like we've got something that people dig and they're enjoying and that's just immensely satisfying for me so you know going forward it's to continue to build that and you know build kind of a legacy for our community that um, makes this not just a business but kind of a defining element of Nevada City I love it well thank you guys for being on the podcast where can people learn more about Yale's campground and connect with you uh, our website is intowncampground.com, and we're on social media, um, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at intowncampground. And, uh, yeah, we'd uh, love to meet any of your listeners in real life, so feel free to tell them to stop, stop by and say, hey, I heard you on this, or hey, I know. So, um, yeah, you can find us online, but you can also find us at the Intown Campground in Nevada City. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. All right. Well, thanks so much for having us. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the show. If you want to grab the show notes in this episode, head on over to our website at heathandalyssa.com and go to podcast. Thanks again to WeBoost for sponsoring this episode of the show. Please leave a review and subscribe in iTunes. Each one helps more people find the show. That's why I ask at the each of it, every episode. It just takes two minutes and uh, it really does make the world a difference, guys. I'm so appreciative of y'all listening to the show, reaching out, sending me emails and thoughts for upcoming episodes and just new content that we can be continuing to push out on the podcast. And I hope y'all are enjoying the mini episodes. I would love to hear more about topics that you'd like me to cover in those shows. So thank you again, and I'll see y'all next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.